Support for this podcast is provided by Cressa. Cressa is the occupier's champion, the world's premier corporate real estate advisory firm, exclusively serving startup businesses and major global organizations alike. As a Portland pillar for over 25 years, Cressa partners with its clients throughout the entire project lifecycle, from workplace strategy and discovery through the deal transaction and project management delivery of space. Cressa partners without conflict and applies integrated expertise to make your business better. Go to cressa.com Portland to connect with the Portland advisory team. From that cast creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the PDX Executive Podcast. Continuing to do this virtually uh, again, uh, I really uh, miss doing this in person. But thanks for for listening. Uh, on today's podcast, we have a team from Stoll Reeves to kind of walk us through the CARES Act and give us some highlights. So I want to introduce each of them: uh, Jim Kearney from uh, Stoll, Karen O'Connor, and Kevin Pearson. Welcome all. Thank you. So I think uh, Bibas, I'll ask each of you to give a little overview of you know who you are and uh, the work you do at Seoul, and we'll, we'll get into the CARES Act. So Karen, we'll start with you. Hi, thanks. Um, so I'm a labor and employment lawyer here at Stoll. And so my role with CARES has been working with employers to help them identify the portions of the act that are relevant for them from an employment perspective, uh, which involves, uh, you know, aspects of payroll, whether they're eligible for the Payroll, the payroll protection program. Um, I've also been advising on the Families First Corona Relief, Coronavirus Relief Act, um, and so that's been another aspect of um, of CARES, separate statute, but um, similar issues. Um, and it's certainly keeping all of us very busy these days. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for that, Karen. So Jim, we'll uh, we'll kick it over to you. Thanks, Dan. I'm Jim Carney. I'm a, a partner at Stolen Our Corporate Group. Um, also do some finance and securities work. Um, for, for me, the CARES Act has been solely about the Paycheck Protection Program, uh, which is what a lot of the clients we work with are eager to hear about and to learn whether they qualify and how much they can borrow and w- what the terms are. Thanks, Jim. Sorry I mispronounced your name, too, at the top, but I appreciate that. So, uh, Kevin, we'll, uh, uh, we'll kick it over to you. To give a little little role a background of your your role at Stoll. Thanks, Dan. Uh, so I'm a I'm a tax partner here, and I have been uh, focusing mostly on the, the the tax provisions of the CARES Act and and the other legislation that's been coming out, and and additionally IRS uh, guidance that's been coming out regarding uh, COVID nineteen and related issues. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack. So I think maybe best we'll start right into it, Jim, with you about the Paycheck uh, Protection Program, because I think that's been in the news probably the most. Uh, I think it rolled out last week, the applications, and there's a lot of confusion. A lot of uh, um, banks just didn't really have the full (laughs) uh, grasp of how many applications were going to come in. So just anything you can share about kind of where it's at and where banks are at and, you know, some thoughts from your clients would be great. Yeah, I mean, I think co- confusion is the word of the day. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, obviously a massive new program, uh, $249 billion um, of uh, guaranteed SBA loans. I think, you know, historically, the whole SBA portfolio has been significantly less than that. Um, so, you know, somebody, somebody told me $90 billion at the end of 2018. Wow. Um, so a fold increase in what the SBA is doing. So confusion is probably expected. Um, uh, it, you know, the CARES Act, um, th- that's, that's one of the first titles, um, is this loan program. It is intended to provide essentially eight weeks of payroll coverage um, for employers. Um, and, um, you know, the, the law came out two weeks ago, um, the regs came out, I think, um, you know, the day before the program opened up. Um, so last Thursday, people could start applying Friday. Uh, and of course lenders didn't, didn't quite know what to do, what to expect. So they were, I'm sure, rapidly reading the, the regs and the guidance from the SBA and the treasury department. Uh, you know, with even more attention yeah. and fervor than we were. So where, I mean, where are we at with it? I mean, have things smoothed out a little bit? I did see something that um, Congress is trying to appropriate a little more money to the program uh, as of today, which is, what is today today? <laughs> I'm losing track of days because I'm at home. <laughs> is it April 9th, right? So yeah, uh, Jim, any any updates on that? Yeah, I mean, just what's been in the press. I, I think everybody... Um, you know, thought that this 249 billion would go as quickly as it could be processed by banks. So, you know, that takes some time, right? The the borrower has to fill out an application with the bank. The bank has to fill out an application to the SBA to get guaranteed. It's got to come back. They've got to do the loan paperwork, mm-hmm. which in this case is pretty abbreviated. It's essentially a six page note. Mm-hmm. Um, in a form that the SBA put together. So efforts are certainly made to streamline the process. But I think adding to a lot of the confusion is, you know, what banks are doing. So, you know, for example, a client who banks with Wells Fargo, who has 67 employees, said they were told Wells Fargo is only processing applications for companies with 50 or fewer employees. Um, a lot of banks are, you know, obviously giving priority to their customers. Right. Um, uh, so there's been, I think, a lot of frustration just getting loans uh, in and processed and frustration with the lenders who themselves, I'm, I'm sure, are frustrated that this is a brand new process dumped on their laps and they're, I think, trying to move as quickly as they can. Sure. It's, yeah, it's unprecedented. And can you just tell us about the forgiveness part of it? I mean, I know there's certain things that, you know, small businesses apply for this. What are, um, what lanes do they have to stay in? So to get a portion of it forgiven? Yeah. So again, it's intended to, you know, it's named the paycheck protection program and that's what it's geared toward. Um, so it really is a loan. You know, all the loans are the, are the same. It's 1% interest over a two year term. But essentially, you've got to use all the loan proceeds in an eight-week period between when you get the loan or from when you get the loan. Um, and and although the law didn't say this, the regs that came out in the application say, you know, you've got to commit to use 75% of the loan proceeds on payroll costs. Mm-hmm. And then the formula for forgiveness um, 
is is relatively complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you, you you have to use seventy five percent for payroll costs, and and there's some nuance and learning about what what that means. Um, there's some cutbacks. You can't borrow if you've got an employee that makes over a hundred thousand dollars. That's cut back in determining how much you can borrow. And you also can't pay that person with the loan proceeds more than 100K. Mm. There's a cutback um, for um, you know salary reductions below 25%. And then once you figure out all the loan costs and you know again payroll, which generally is salaries, mm-hmm. um, but also includes things like um, you know retirement contributions and health benefits. Um, but once you've spent that money and figured it out, the, the, you know, the formula, well, I should step back and say, you can also use it for other purposes like mortgage payments and rent. Um, I'm sorry to interrupt, Jim. Is that, I know this program is open to like sole proprietors. Is that more geared towards them or no, does this matter? No, no, it's just generally, I mean, a lot of clients we work with either they're paying a mortgage or they're, they're paying rent. So there's, those count as costs, but you can't spend more than 25% of your loan on those types of things. Got it. Um, and then once you get, you know, once you've gone through the eight week period, you can apply to have all or part of the loan forgiven, but there's still a little trick there. And essentially once you've got your loan expenditures, you end up uh, multiplying it by a, by a fraction. That's your, your full-time employees over that eight-week loan period divided by your full-time employees in one of two historical periods that you can pick. So the idea at least is if you've kept your full-time employee number the same, you can you can have 100% of the loan forgiven. Mm. Cut back on your full-time employees in that eight-week loan period, you can only have a portion forgiven. Got it. Well, uh, Karen, I'm going to kick it over to you just from an employment in a law perspective, all these things are being rolled out. What are some things small businesses should be, you know, cautious of or just know uh, for that? Um, so I, I think that um, where I'm seeing the most questions are people being cautious and concerned about um, some of the forgiveness aspects that um, Jim just mentioned. So in particular, um, the idea is that you're going to use this money to bring people back. Um, and I have clients, and I'm sure that Jim and Kevin have had similar conversations with clients about, well, I'm worried about, can I bring everybody back? What if I need to bring people back on a staggered basis? What if I think, you know, we don't know how long this is going to last. And so if I only bring half my people back and then, and I stagger the rest, is that going to impact the forgivability of the loan? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the short and easy answer to the question is yes, but the harder question to answer is how by how much, right? And those are those are really complicated um, mathematical and financial um, decisions that a, a business needs to make at a time that's it's incredibly difficult to make them because everything is so uncertain, I think. Um, And that's been really challenging for, for people. I know that I have a number of clients that they've opted to hedge their bets a little bit and the loans that they've put in are say for 50% of their payroll Mm. um, or something like a slightly reduced amount um, with the idea that that way they can maintain the forgivability of the loan, um, but also um, make sure that they're not under pressure to bring everyone back and then lose the forgivability. So, it's a really complicated analysis, um, 
and I think that's one one challenge. The other challenge is is something else that um, that that Jim mentioned, and that is, you know, I have a number of small business clients that they either don't have existing debt or they have only limited existing debt, which you know is a great if you're a business, right? Mm-hmm. It was great until this hit, um, and then because of their lack of an established relationship with a, a, an institution, at least on a debt perspective, they're having a hard time getting any traction or attention from lending institutions. Um, So I've got a bunch of them that just put in the application through the SBA process. They're supposed to get matched to a lender. Um, None of them have heard anything. Mm. Um, And uh, whereas I have other clients with existing relationships with banks that are, um, that are at least getting some responsive responses back from the, from the institutions. And um, I think that's one of the things Congress is struggling with today that the new legislation got held up today, but it was because uh, the Democrats wanted some assurance that, businesses without existing debt or relationships with lending institutions should have some chance to get some of this money I see. Um, that's out there. And, and Kevin, what about some of the uh, tax implications uh, uh, folks should know about? Um, I know, well, I don't know much about, I, I haven't read much about the tax implications in the news, so I don't know if uh, what's kind of hidden in there that folks should know about. Well, the, the kind of the headline tax provision is the $1,200 per person cash payment, right? Uh, which, which in the legislation is actually a sort of a uh, treated as an advanced tax refund. So it's a, a tax payment, uh, but that's of course only applicable to individuals and it's phased out at, at a hundred thousand dollars of income. So, um, and it, it, the IRS is supposed to start making payments by April 15th of those amounts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was kind of the headline tax provision. The other two tax provisions that uh, are interesting to a lot of employers uh, relate to social security taxes. Uh, one provision of the bill provides for a refundable tax credit. Uh, it's a credit against the employer share of social security taxes, which is the 6.2% tax an employer pays. Hmm. Um, but the credit is half of qualified wages paid to an employee up to $10,000. So it's, it's possible that an employer might get a $5,000 credit hmm. per employee that can be used to offset that social security tax. And, and at that amount, the credit is going to far exceed the social security tax. So uh, it's another uh, possibility for, for employers to get checks from the government. Okay. There's a lot of qualification requirements and limitations, but but that's kind of one of the unsung uh, economic provisions in the in the bill. Uh, it is not available to anybody who receives a paycheck protection program loan. So you, you can get one or the other, but not both. Hmm. But a lot of employers who are who are too big, in particular for the for the paycheck protection program loan, are looking at that employee retention tax credit. Um, there's also a provision in the bill that allows for the deferral of payment of employer social security taxes, which I think is going to benefit a lot of people. Uh, the, there, there are no restrictions on who can, who can use that deferral other than uh, you can't use it if you have had a loan forgiven under the Paycheck Protection Program loan provisions. So it, it's, that's one example of some kind of forgivably weird language in the in the bill that yeah. uh, you know what does it mean for somebody to have had a loan forgiven uh, presumably it means that it, you, you only can not defer once you have 
benefited from forgiveness. The, the bill also had a litany of other tax benefits, but, but they're a little bit less sexy insofar as, you know, they're not going to benefit anybody until they file their tax return for 2019. Got it. But some of the, some of the major provisions were, uh, the, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which was enacted at the end of 2017, impo- imposed limitations on net, a- net operating loss carryovers, and this und- relaxes those rules a little bit. There was a limitation on the, the extent to which a company could benefit from uh, deductions for business interest. They relaxed those limitations a little bit. Uh, and s- some other similar changes that are going to be useful and it's going to probably reduce tax liability for a lot of employers, but uh, obviously not a, not an immediate benefit. Sure. And I guess the question I have is what size company does this benefit the most? Or maybe there's not one size, but I I've kind of read that there's tiers maybe of this different program of like 50 to 500 employees, or is there thoughts on that? Or I don't know. Yeah, well, the, so the pay, Paycheck Protection Program it, uh, only applies to people with 500 employees or fewer. I think I'm saying that right, Jim. Yep. Uh, the the employee retention tax credit uh, has a d- distinguishes between employers with more than 100 employees and employers with with 100 or fewer employees, and the credit is much more generous or or easy to get if you have 100 or, or fewer employees. Than it is for more than 100 employees, but it's but it's available to uh, anybody regardless of how many employees, albeit with more restrictions if you're bigger. Got it. Um, and, and from the employment side, uh, employment law side, Karen, is that does it matter the the size of things folks should be cautious about, or are the tiers important as far as what regulations hit or? No, well, it does because um, in conjunction with the CARES Act, um, or right before the CARES Act was passed, Congress passed the Families First Coronavirus Relief Act, the FICRA, the FICRA, two Fs, um, and that applies to employers with 50 or 500 employees or fewer, and the the provisions of that law were to provide two new kinds of leave under the Family Medical Leave Act. So there's an emergency uh, sick leave um, that provides up to 80 hours um, of full pay, but it's defined by the statute as um, up to $500 a day or a maximum of $5,110. And then there's an extended leave portion um, if somebody needs leave because their child's school is closed, which is we all now know Oregon and Washington schools are closed through the end of the year or the end of the school year. So um, and that is uh, another um, another paid leave program, again with maximums. And so I think that the, the conjunction of the, the the those those paid leave programs, which are credits available, an employee can take or the employer can take a tax credit for those amounts of paid leave that they provide to their employees. Um, but as as Jim said, like they then are not eligible potentially for um, the they can't use those to pay the payroll protection program. Um, So the question is, which, which, which is better? Like, should they take the PPP loan um, and, um, or should they take the credits that are associated with the, um, 
with the paid leave programs. And I think those are really complicated financial analyses. And one, one of the challenges um, that my colleagues, I think, have been too, <laughs> too nice about saying is that, like, these laws are really, really long. I mean, the um, one of them was over 500 pages. The other was over 800 pages. Um, and then there are the regulations that go with them. And there's all this interpretation. And so we're, we're literally on a daily basis, we're having to update, like, well, you should think about this aspect or you should yeah. think about this fact and what's the documentation that you need in order to take the tax credit and you know does, does the tax is the tax credit better for you or would you be better off you know taking out a payroll protection program loan and um, it's 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 really um, it's really difficult. It makes me glad that I don't do Jim and, and Kevin's jobs. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, the whole, I mean, the design of it is it's speed, right? To get this into the economy, yes. help these employers. So I think, do you think because these laws are 500 pages, there's going to be some forgiveness to employers as they work through this? Um, I know uh, in your work, your, your job is to help clients through that. But I mean, what's your thoughts? This is unprecedented, right? Nothing's the size, Ish. scope and speed. So what's your thoughts on just, Hey, give us a little bit of break here. So, you know, as far from a small employer, uh, working through this and, and jumping into it. You know, I certainly hope that the agencies will be flexible, but um, we really don't know. I mean, the Department of Labor said with respect to the FFCRA that they were going to take sort of an enforcement holiday and not enforce it for 30 days after the passage of the law. Um, so it's we're coming right up on that. I think that uh, the FFCRA was passed in, um, in the middle of March, so we're getting pretty close. I think it's April 17th or something that they'll begin enforcing the FFCRA. Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, we're, we're seeing guidance. We just got new guidance, more guidance today from the IRS um, that seemed to give us some hope that there's some common sense. Um, uh, and one of the things that we're, that we're telling clients to do is to screenshot whatever guidance they're looking at at any particular time. That's good advice. Yeah. The, F, yeah, the FAQs are the, because of course, as they updated it, it changed, right? But if, if, we, if they, we have that screenshot to say, well, you know, on April 8th, this is what I was looking at and this is what it said and here's why I did what I did at the time. Like, you know, we hope there's going to be some flexibility there. I think as long as the employer um, or taxpayer is acting in good faith and can demonstrate that good faith, I think there there is going to be a fair amount of leeway, but I would be interested in what my tax and corporate colleagues think yeah. about that question. And Jim, I'm going to come back to you about, you know, the, the PPP, uh, but there's also this, is it the economic or disaster emergency re recovery and uh, are you, yeah. can you tell me about yeah. us about that? Yeah, I mean, I, and I guess I will say, I can't tell you much about that um, in, in part because, I mean, that's that's been an existing um, SBA program. Um, the, the twist, the CARES Act, I think laid over it is that if you apply for one of those, essentially you get a $10,000 grant um, and then if you apply, those loans can then be rolled into a paycheck protection program loan. So I think a, a lot of clients who, you know, when the act came out, read about that and immediately got their, uh, applied to get their $10,000 mm -hmm. um, because every little bit counts. And then I think m most of the folks I've worked with, you know, nobody... No, nobody, nobody wants to call a lawyer to help them get uh, ten thousand dollars because right. that's probably a significant chunk of that would go to <laughs> um, So I really haven't gotten many questions about those, but but then those loans are rolled into the Paycheck Protection Program. Oh, I see. Um, okay. So from my perspective, it's really been sort of all 
all about the PPP. Um, Go ahead, Jim. I was just going to say to sort of um, respond maybe to to Karen and, and, and about the risks here with these loans. I mean, we've, we've, we've talked to some clients about that. I mean, there's, you know, it's a huge program. There's a lot of unanswered questions. There's a lot of questions that are not uh, as easy as they seem on their face. So, you know, we've gotten questions, some of which are easy, right? An employer will call and say, well, I used to have 500 employees, but because of COVID-19, I've got 200. Do I qualify? And that's an easy one. The answer is no, because the program has its 500 employees on average over your pay periods in the last 12 months or in 2019. Mm. So firing a bunch of people now doesn't qualify you for the program. But there are a lot of other complicated rules about affiliation. And if you're a company that is owned by another company, in what circumstances do you need to include their employees? Um, Some of those answers are easy and some are not. so, the, you know, when somebody applies for the loan, they need to fill out an application and their representative needs to make a bunch of certifications, um, including that they qualify for the loan. Um, and, you know, we've generally, I think, advised clients that they're, uh, if they take an aggressive position on one of these, these um, provisions, whether they qualify or if they take an aggressive provision a position on on the amount of the loan that they can apply for, um, or if they subsequently take an aggressive position on what portion of the loan is forgivable. Right. Um, you know, there there is some risk there, but like Karen said, I think if people are trying to make these decisions in good faith, the the likelihood that someone will come after them after the fact is probably low. Um, I think it's the case. Yeah, you know, any program like this, there's going to be a bunch of fraud that goes on because um, for a lot of people, it's free money. And particularly, you know, the, the underwriting standards that lenders are have to comply with are, are very low. Mm. Um, so the lenders will do, you know, a check, but largely rely on applicants and their certification. So my guess is there will be plenty of actual bald faced fraud. Um, for people to for people to go after, sure. um, so a client you know doing their best um, should, should should be relatively safe. Anything can look like fraud after the fact, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. You know, new guidance comes out or whatever. So as Karen said, if you're relying on some guidance that may change, not a bad idea to make sure you've saved it somewhere. Yeah, you got it. And um, a couple more questions before we kind of kind of end i i one of the big things that are coming out of this the cares act and this is may not really apply to the work you do is including sole proprietors single single member llc's gig workers and maybe karen this is more in your your world i don't know just um what are some of the things those folks should be know about um if if anything addition that's what's in the news well i think what's really important for them to know is that they're eligible for those loans as well mm-hmm. um so in, uh, independent contractors and sole proprietors um and uh, i mean a, a gig worker arguably is an independent contractor right mm-hmm. so i mean they are eligible for the loans as well they have to be able to demonstrate and show a loss um which i suspect most of them can do um and of course the you know their loans are going to be small, their payroll is probably themselves, right? right. But there's, but they qualify for the loans too. And I think they have a later 
application date. Like I believe their date is tomorrow. Is that right, Jim? That's right. Yeah. So they're, I mean, they, they're, the SBA is going to start accepting applications for, um, for in, independent contractors and sole proprietors tomorrow. And the same thing, like if they're eligible, they should get their applications in. Um, many of those I think are going to be in the same situation as some of the small clients I mentioned that they don't have, they don't have a relationship with a bank, right? They're going to have to go through the SBA program, but I mean, the SBA is ultimately going to have to get to those loans too. Right. And those, um, and um, and there's been some discussion also in Congress of trying to um, funnel this next round of funding to focus on uh, those smaller those smaller groups, and then also um, you know minority-owned, women-owned, um, disabled, and veteran-owned businesses, which has been a, a historical focus of the SBA. Um, so yeah, I think that th- those people should know that they they're eligible too, and they should apply as well. Yeah. Um, because it's there is a a lot of money. One of my partners said earlier, uh, as we were talking about this, that you know there's there's money falling from the sky, and everybody <laughs> wants their bucket out there. And exactly. um, <laughs> how much is actually going to fall into the bucket? We don't know, but it's you know you're just as likely as anybody else. So it's it's definitely worth a try. Sure. And Kevin, from a tax perspective, for those uh, uh, those folks, those category of um, you know businesses, anything special like those uh, sole proprietors should know. Uh, One question that has been coming up with some frequency is if you are a uh, partner in a partnership, uh, you know, are you an independent contractor that needs to apply for the loan separately or can you be treated as an employee that uh, is, is, you know, eligible to to, um, be covered by a company loan? There's not a really clear answer to that. And I think that's kind of one of the uh, missing links in the statute. Mm. But we've, yeah, we've gotten a lot of questions like that. Um, otherwise, the, the tax provisions just apply to employers generally. So uh, they apply to everybody who's, who's filing a Schedule C or a partnership return or a corporation return. Got it. Yeah. I mean, that question is more for me. I'm a single, single member LLC, but I also a member in other LLCs. I get K1. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah, well, well partners, partners in a partnership are not, from a tax standpoint, uh, are not employees of the partnership, right. but they're also not independent contractors. And so that's, that's one of the big questions that we've been wrestling with is, how, you know, which, which uh, if there's only two possibilities, which one is it? We don't think that Congress meant to exclude partners and partnerships from these provisions. So, um, employers are just sort of having to take a position in their in their loan application and hopefully the IRS will give us some additional guidance at some point. Well I'm gonna kinda of end with just um maybe some final advice from each of you and just also just resources. I, I'm Hopefully, and I'm sure, you know, stole your site, you're continuing to, to update uh, things. And so that's probably a great resource, but maybe any other one. So Jim, I'll start with you. Of any kind of final kind of takeaways as of today, April 9th, because it is changing day by day, uh, you might want to uh, leave us with and uh, resource guides. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the, <laughs> the main thing I've been telling clients is um, if you qualify for the PPP, uh, apply for it. Uh, and do it as quickly and as well as you can. Um, Because like Karen said, it's sort of raining federal money um, and for folks who need it, um, uh, it, you know, try try to get it. That's what it's there for. I mean, in terms of resources, I I think probably everybody is suffering from what I'm suffering from, which is um, 
you know, too, too much information, but not enough useful uh, information. Yeah. Um, so, you know, every law firm in the world, and including us, you know, we're, we're putting out client alerts that we think our clients will find useful. Um, there's just a lot out there. There's a lot unknown, and it's sort of changing every day. I mean, even we're steeped in this, but, you know, for example, we, many of us learned today that yesterday the SBA form of loan was published. Um, so, uh, you know, that sort of stuff sort of f floats around out there. Mm -hmm. um, so our law firm web page is a pretty good place to go because yeah. we're working hard to, to keep things updated. Mm -hmm. Great. And Karen, uh, how about any uh, depart, uh, parting advice? <laughs> you know, um, I, so I think the U.S. Chamber of Commerce website has got extraordinary resources um, about the PPP program. It's also got a lot of information about the FFCRA and, um, and the tax credits that are available um, when you provide paid leave to your folks under that. Um, and then, you know, generally, actually, I think like the SBA.gov website also has great resources. I, I mean, I've been really impressed actually with our government agencies that even under the onslaught, they've actually put out a lot of really useful, um, easy to understand information, checklists, um, info sheets um, that are there. And that's, uh, I mean, honestly, like when a client calls me half the time, that's what I'm looking at. Like, and it's just as easy for them to pull it up and look at it themselves. Um, but the Chamber of Commerce and the SBA.gov websites are both, um, I think, both terrific resources. And also as um, as Kevin, as uh, Jim said, we've got our, um, the firm website. I and mean, we've been running webinars as well. So we've had um, five or six webinars on these topics. So as they come up and as they come out, as there's new information, we're trying to distill it down and present it to, to folks in a, um, as easy, digestible manner as we can. So keep an eye out for our webinars too. Great. And Kevin, uh, how about you down the tax? Uh, I, I echo all of that. We're, we're trying to stay abreast of everything and keep you know, keep clients informed. The IRS website has some, they released some frequently asked questions and other guidance regarding the tax credits, which are actually very good. So that's a good source of information. Great. Well, thank you all for hopping on. I mean, there's a lot to unpack in it, uh, about the CARES Act. So there's a lot more to come, right? Yes. <laughs> so uh, th thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of ThatCast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.